got two readings today. The first one is from Genesis 3, 6 to 13. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then the second reading is from Romans 8 verses 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Thank you, Penny. Amen. Let me just pray for us as we open up the word. God, we thank you for your beautiful presence with us now. We thank you for that incredible time of worship. And we just pray, Lord, that we would continue to have receptive hearts as we we look at your word together. Come, Lord, by your spirit. Amen. Hi. (laughs) Nice to see you all. Um, I'm Katie, for those that don't know me. I'm curate here. Um, Last week was the first in our mini-series called Embodied. Um, We are going to be covering various topics about what the Bible says about our physical bodies. Um, Ben last week um, talked about the value of our bodies as created by God. And this week we're looking at brokenness and the body. So I want to start by acknowledging that this is a particularly painful subject for many of us. Some of you, as we've just heard, are in physical pain right now. Some of us suffer with mental illness, and there's an incredible book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is all about how the body and the mind are so interconnected, and that when you experience trauma, and I've experienced this myself, it affects your physical body. Some of you will have experienced that. Some of us are grieving because of the death of a loved one. And all of us will at some point in our lives have have come into contact with some of these things. So this is a painful topic. And it's also a very challenging topic. John Stott says, The fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. It raises questions, doesn't it, about the goodness of God. How could a God who loves us allow physical suffering? Why does God heal some people and some people he doesn't? 
Most of you know that my mum died of cancer four years ago now. And she was a great believer in praying for healing. She had so much uh, faith and was so bold in her prayers. And I had the privilege of going with her to pray for a lady that she knew. This lady didn't yet know know Jesus. She didn't have a Christian faith. Um, But she had cancer of the womb. And the next day, that lady was going to go into hospital to have a hysterectomy to remove her womb and um, remove the cancer. And so my mum, being the gutsy woman that she was, said to this lady, you've got nothing to lose, why don't you just let us pray for you? (laughs) I'm going to come to your house, I'll bring my daughter and we'll pray for you. And the lady was like, okay. Uh, And I went with my mum, we went to her house, we laid hands on her, we prayed, remove the cancer now in Jesus' name, cancer be gone. The next day she went into hospital and the surgeon said the cancer had miraculously disappeared, it had gone. The following year, my mum was diagnosed with cancer, We prayed for healing. A few months later, she died. Sometimes we see the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven in physical healings. Sometimes we don't. Much of why God does what he does and heals when he heals remains cloaked in divine mystery. And I won't be unwrapping that mystery in a short glib talk this morning. It's not helpful and it's not possible. But what we can do this morning is look together at the reality of the brokenness of our world that we all experience, including the brokenness of our physical bodies. And also this morning, I want us to see that there is hope. Not just for the end of all things, but now there is hope. And so firstly, what we're going to do is look at our createdness. Why were we created? What was the purpose of God creating us in this physical way? And then once we've established that, we're going to look at what went wrong. <laughs> How, what, what's going on? What went wrong? And then finally, we're going to look at the hope that we have, both in the restoration of all things, but also the hope that we have now. So let's look at scripture. Genesis 1 and 2, we come to understand our purpose in God's design. Firstly, we are designed for relationship with God. Secondly, we are designed to reflect the glory of God. So we're purposed for relationship with God, we're purposed to reflect the glory of God. God, within God's self, Augustine says, is loving, loving loving. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God intrinsically is relational. God is love. And you remember a few weeks ago, Sharon said this really beautifully. She said, God isn't just loving. God is love. This is who God is. And so we as humans are designed for that relationship with God, to be loved and to love. And isn't that the longing of the human heart? Doesn't Hollywood know that? Doesn't advertising know that? But the only way that we can be fulfilled and healed is through knowing God. That's why Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. So we're designed for relationship with God. Secondly, we're designed to reflect 
God's glory. The whole of creation is designed to reflect God's glory. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The glory of God in scripture is like radiant light shining out and giving life to everything. There is nothing selfish about the glory of God. And one theologian writes, the beautiful glory of the triune God is radiating, self-giving and loving. For his glory is not about taking, but giving. Love is God's light and glory. So do you see how love and the glory of God are interconnected? And this is what we're created for. Including our physical bodies, we're meant to be overflowing with the love of God and part of the radiance of his glory. We are purposed for a relationship with God and to reflect God's glory. So what went wrong? Uh, let's look at Gen- Genesis 3. If you have your Bibles, do have them open at Genesis 3. So we're in the Garden of Eden. And there is this tree, and this tree symbolizes the power to define good and evil, but divorced from relationship with God. And so the temptation of the fruit of this tree, as the serpent says in verse 4, is that you will be like God. And this is what they choose. But ironically, instead of becoming like God, they become just the opposite because they divorce themselves from relationship with God. Augustine describes sinful humanity in this way as homo incurvatus in say, I don't speak Latin, someone did correct me earlier and I've forgotten how he pronounced it. Something like homo incurvatus in say. And it means humanity curved into itself. He says, humanity has now become deformed from its original created state by rejecting the very relationship that created it. And so we see in this story the consequences, the unraveling of our relationship with God, the reflection of God's glory in creation. In verse 8, it says, God is walking in the garden in the cool of the night, sorry, the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord, and God called, where are you? And what have you done? I think those are probably the saddest verses in the whole of scripture. God walking into his creation and saying, where are you? What have you done? And then secondly, we see the severing of relationships between the humans. God says, what have you done? And you notice the man blames God and he blames the woman. He says, the woman you put here She gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then the woman blames creation, the creature. The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So there's enmity between the creature and the woman. And then there's enmity between the woman and the man, and it says in verse 16 that the man will rule over her. There's enmity enmity between the earth and the man. The, The earth, instead of bearing fruit... It produces thorns and thistles. And finally, it says that their bodies, no longer connected with the life of God, become destined to death and decay. So we see in Genesis 3 the othering of others, the brokenness of relationship that leads to the physical breaking of the whole of creation. And it's so evident in our world, isn't it? In our prayers, we praying about earthquakes, um, praying about war, 
this grasping at power, to have power over other humans, to raise ourselves up and over other people is the complete opposite of how we are designed to be. Humans all over the world categorize one another to create hierarchy, to designate value judgments and status over other people, not for the glorification of God, but for the glorification of ourselves. Wielding the earth's resources, wielding humans as resources for the benefit of the self is a direct consequence of the falling away from God. And we saw this, didn't we, at the height of the pandemic. This was a virus that attacked humans without discrimination and yet some suffered more than others, not just because of their physical vulnerability, but because of the disparities of our world. People in poverty suffered more. Ethnic minorities in our country suffered more. And during the spring lockdown of 2020, the words of George Floyd, I can't breathe, reverberated across the world, forced to stand still because of a respiratory virus. Without God, the human attempt to be free from suffering is about getting ahead, using money and power to transcend pain and poverty. And there are spiritualities too, aren't there, that say you can transcend above the physical world. You can, you can lift yourself up out of pain and suffering through uh, various spiritualities. And if God was to have was to work in the way that we would work in this way maybe the solution would be to remove us from this earth to get us out of harm's way wouldn't that be nice but that's not what god does because the root of brokenness is broken relationship so instead god comes into our suffering broken world in the person of jesus who is the radiance of god's glory to restore our relationship. The answer to our brokenness isn't to be removed instantaneously from this world. The answer is to know the God who comes into our world and becomes broken. Um, I've been reading a book by Joni Erickson Tada. I'm sure many of you have heard of her. If you haven't and you're going through physical pain, can I recommend her to you? She calls herself a pain pal instead of a pen pal. And she's written many books on her experiences of suffering in her physical body. Her story is that when she was 17, she dove into a bay thinking that it was really deep water. And in fact, it was really shallow. And the accident left her paralyzed from the shoulders down. And she talks about her experience of physical pain, of physical suffering. And then she describes her frustrations with the hymns and the images that so often try and beautify or romanticize the cross. She says this, sure, romanticists, sorry, yes, sure, romanticists try to color the resurrection with lilies and songbirds, but lay aside the emotion and think of the facts for a moment. A man, stone-cold dead, a cadaver of grey, cold flesh, really rose up from his slab and walked out of the grave. She goes on. These days, these warfare days, those old images just don't cut it for me. I need a battlefield Jesus at my side, down here in the dangerous, often messy trenches of daily life. I need Jesus, the rescuer, ready to wade through pain, death, and hell itself to find me 
grasp me by my hand and bring me to safety. God experiences shame, humiliation, thirst, hunger, poverty, exclusion, torture, and death. God comes into our pain. He walks it with us. Because by his life, his death, and resurrection, it's all about restoring relationship. And we see this in Romans 8, don't we? We had that read out as well. Um, So do turn to Romans 8 if you've got your Bibles. Paul is writing to Christians in Rome who've experienced harassment and deportation. They're the underclass in Rome. And yet the Roman propaganda at the time is that the new Caesar will bring about, will usher in this time of um, utopia, that it would be like the golden age of bliss. And so part of what Paul is responding to in this passage is cutting through the propaganda of that culture. And he says, actually, in this world, we will suffer. Those who follow Christ should expect to suffer. And then he refers to the Genesis account. He says, we know that creation was subjected to frustration. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And then he explicitly corrects those Christians who thought, well, now we are Christians. We can just be lifted up out of the situation, up above other people. And he says in verse 23, not only so, But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so we as Christians should expect to continue to participate in this life, in the suffering to which the entire world has been subjected to. Believers also groan. And get this. God also groans. God is with us in the midst of our suffering. And Paul says the spirit groans with creation, guiding us in our prayers in this fallen and broken world. And sometimes we don't know what to pray, do we? We get to that point where we're like, I just don't know anymore. Like, what do I pray? And the spirit, it says, is interceding with us. But we're not going to leave it there this morning. You'll be glad to hear. There is hope. (laughs) Um, there is hope. We see in this passage the restoration of, of relationships and glimpses of the restoration of the glory of God. We know that one day, ultimately, yes, there will be the full restoration of the whole of creation. Habakkuk says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a wonderful day that will be. But one theologian talks about the evidences of God's glory in the midst of suffering in the persecuted Christians that Paul is talking to. He says, as the Christians ate together, as their relationships were restored, and as the divisions between men, women, children, slaves were torn down, he says they were all foretastes of the glory of God on earth. Do you know that there are foretastes of the restored creation when we work to overcome ecological disorder? when we actively seek to pull down social hierarchies, when we fight for the rights of children and the vulnerable, when we work against modern slavery, when we forgive, when we're kind, when we speak words of life to people. 
And so I just want to finish this morning um, with a story from my favorite book. And I've used examples from her book before. Um, this is a slightly shorter one than last time. You'll be glad to hear. Um, it's The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom. And for those who don't know her story, she and her sister Betsy ended up in Ravensbrück concentration camp during World War II. And she profoundly describes the way she saw glimmers of God's glory and God's love even in the midst of the most inhumane suffering. Um, And in her book, she describes these really small, miraculous moments. So, for example, there's this little uh, bottle of vitamins that just never seems to run out until finally someone smuggles in another little bottle of vitamins, and then that day, the bottle runs out. And then another miracle is that she managed to smuggle in a Bible, and it just wasn't seen, miraculously wasn't seen by the guards. And then I think, well... Okay, God, you did those lovely little miracles. Why didn't you just take her out of the situation? What? What are you doing? (laughs) Well, I think there's something in the answer here. In her description of their secret prayer meetings, there was purpose in that place. And by the way, they could only have these secret meetings because the place was so full of fleas that the guards didn't come near them. She says this. They were services like no others, these times in Barracks 28. A single meeting might include a recital of the Magnificat in Latin by a group of Roman Catholics, a whispered hymn by some Lutherans, a chant by Eastern Orthodox women. With each moment, the crowd around us would swell, packing the nearby platforms, hanging over the edges until the high structures groaned and swayed. At last, either Betsy or I would open the Bible. Because only the Hollanders could understand the Dutch text, we would translate aloud in German. And then we would hear the life-giving words passed back along the aisles in French, Polish, Russian, Czech, back to Dutch. She says this, they were little previews of heaven. These evenings beneath the light bulb, I would think of Harlem, each substantial church set behind its wrought iron fence and its barrier of doctrine. And I would know again that in darkness, God's truth shines most clear. May we know and see God's glory in the darkest times. May we know God's strength, God's grace, God's love, and God's glory in our weakness and even in our broken bodies. I want to finish with a prayer over you now. This is a prayer um, written by Paul in his uh, letter to the Ephesians. And by the way, as he's saying this prayer, he is in prison. So let me pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Amen.